Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. All right, anybody that didn't hear me preach last week, do you have any, oh good, so do you have any idea why these up here? Good. I don't either. Not really. All right. So let me say a couple things. We're going to be in our text, Isaiah 9, in just a moment. Uh, Karis, thank you. My trembling hands at that age, there's not a chance I could have lit those candles. Well done. Um, That's a portion of our text today. So let me give a little introduction. Uh, A couple... (laughs) A couple of people said this, you walked in, hey, it's your last Sunday. How do you feel? I said, I felt good until you said that, you know? <laughs> so meaning this, this is 35 years. And when I think about 35 years, is what I think about, so some of you heard this different places, all the way along, ups and downs. See, one predominant thread, one predominant thing, it's God's faithfulness. Um... <clears throat> Brendan did some amazing videos. Half of it's embarrassing. The other part is I want you to know this. It's telling God's story, and God's always telling a story through people. He's always doing that. When you read the scripture, that's what it is. So the message we get from that is what he does in people who are undeserving. We are vessels, and he does that, and it's amazing. So if I had to pick a last Sunday where I'm in this role, this is our people. This is our family. We're, we're, we're here. But being in this role, I'd pick this Sunday, and I didn't think about it. We're celebrating the birth of the Son. So tonight, when I'm up at Christmas Eve service, and Devin's leading that worship, I'm like, that's what I want. I'm like, I get tears happening before. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to be. I want to be God's people worshiping this time when Jesus came. Not to distract you too much, but some of you know, know Dan Hayward and his faithful mom and followed that along. I got the text 30 minutes ago. She's in heaven seeing Jesus face to face right now on this day. You know, she's been looking forward to this day for a long time. And here it is. I thought, I can't, Lord, you're so good. That's what we have. When, you, when we actually walk with Jesus, we're actually believing. We have this hope. It's what we look forward to. It's right now where we live waiting for his return. And we're celebrating this first advent in that. So, well, no, it's, um, it's his faithfulness that I see over everything. One more thing. So, <laughs> so November 12th, I'm not in charge of anything on November 12th when they do this celebration, which is really hard for me. So I didn't really know too much what was going on. It goes longer than I think and all these different things. So I guess what bump, got bumped off the schedule was the pastors, the other pastor were going to say something then. So we actually got a, said a week ago, we got to have dinner together and they're saying these really kind things to Cindy and me. But here's what I, here's what I came away with is I'm listening to Mike and Rob and Joe and their wives. These guys, they understand pastoring. The way in which they spoke was a vision for pastoring and God's people that was robust. And I'm like, Lord, you're so good. Because what happens next, this next season is really good. You are faithful. Seasons come, seasons go, right? We all have seasons. So you are people, you are a spiritual family. That's what that is. But part of what goes on here, you're releasing for this work in Central Asia. And I just got back a couple of weeks ago. And I'll get to tell stories different times and we'll see how that all goes. The thing I really want you to come away with is he's faithful and he uses people at different places. And and seriously, one of the best parts of this church is sitting right here. It's not what's up here. It's the brothers and sisters and the way ministry happens and the day in, day out stuff. Kevin Kevin and Diane will tell you that in terms of how they've experienced that. That's what it is. So I just, I want us to be looking to Jesus like that and enjoying him in, in those kind of ways. Um, but I'm not tired of doing this. It's that Central Asia calls and they don't have what we have. And these are people that live under Muslim governments and they are begging for this kind of pastoral training. I mean, with tears in the face. And so when I just came back from this trip, when, I'm, when we're teaching things from his word, their eyes are glowing. They're telling I, what they never understood before and how this training's having an effect on them. So I want you to see that as you are part of sending that. 
that's glorious and good, and that's Jesus-centered, and that's where we need our lives to be, right? To be Jesus-centered. Okay, enough of that. Isaiah 9. So let me talk about what this is. And is this our fourth Sunday in Isaiah? I think we've been going through this. So let me just talk about how you read the prophets, the major prophets in Isaiah. So we are Westerners, and so we tend to think linear, and we tend to think chronology, you know, and so we go, when did this happen or when does this happen? The way to think of prophecy, oh, this is my drawing, by the way, pretty poor. I'm going to show you other drawing in a moment, but this is, anybody know what this is? That's really bad. You shouldn't be in the front. Anybody know what this is supposed to be? Thank you. At least we got that. I can do stick figures. That's about it. So it's supposed to be a mountain range, which is, is I, I put this up here to help you think of when you read prophecy, that it's what, what it's like. So if you've ever driven from the Midwest and gone out to the Tetons or the Rocky Mountains, there's a point where you see that mountain range. It's, it's stunning. It's glorious. But here's what you can't tell. You can't tell the proximity of these two peaks. Are they a quarter mile away or are they five miles away? You can't tell. You just see it's stunning. That's prophecy. So when Isaiah writes, and what we're going to see, he's talking about our glorious Jesus, which has to do in Isaiah's day. It has to do here when he came, and it has to do with his future coming, his reign all the way through that. So we go time frames. When is this? So when Isaiah's writing... I'm, I'm going to read Isaiah 9 again in a little bit, but see the mountain range. We go like, oh, when was this picture? What was that picture? So I'm just going to do these really quick. Um, this is last week's sermon. I am a terrible artist, verified by this. And I'm like, I want, so last week I did this. I want to get people to get the pictures. Then I go like, why in the world would you do this when you have a granddaughter that's amazing in her art? So that's the stump of Jesse, if you remember last week, okay? The stump, if you remember the picture, it, of Jesse, he's promised. It looks like the promises of God are over. It's a stump, but there's a shoot. God's promises are never dead, no matter how they look. What's this one? Oh, this is later. Thank you. Looked good to me, upside down. So this is, he's the signal for the nations. Jesus is calling people to come in. It's an invitation. Twice he says that in Isaiah 11. Oh, this is the one. And when he comes again, it's going to be the, pre the predator and prey lying down together. I think this is wolf and lamb. And he's got bunches of pictures of that in Isaiah 11. This reign of peace. And the final one he said, this is Red Sea. He speaks of it being a highway of salvation, like when the Lord parted the Red Sea of the children of Israel. That's the pictures he created in Isaiah 11. So I just put them up here again to remind us of the prophets, what he said. But really to do the mountain range, I don't have good pictures for this week. Um, but that's what he's going to do again. He's going to give us pictures, and it's of who Jesus is. That's what it is. So remember again in Isaiah's day, it was a pretty tough period. He serves under four kings. Israel has basically gone apostate. One of those kings, I think this is the king that lived for 50 years. So he leaves the Lord God Jehovah. He follows the false. He's actually sacrificing his sons in the fire to, to false gods. It's, so when you read those things, you should think these are demons, demon gods. That's how, and it's a long discussion if you don't know this, but that's Hinduism and all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's everything, it's the Lord God creator. And that's what they're doing. So Israel's got this period of up and down, and he, he's, he has these prophecies. But part of the prophecy is, this one's been promised. The promise was to David, there will be a king coming who will reign eternally. And in Jesus' day, they were looking for that Messiah, and when he comes, they had a different idea of their deliverance. But all this has been prophesied for years. And in Isaiah's day, it's a dark period spiritually for Israel. I don't know how you think about our country, but I would just say it's not a great period spiritually for our country. 
So we live here. That's what we think about. I'll just tell you this. Jesus is building his kingdom all over the world. You won't hear it on CNN. You won't hear it on Fox News. You won't hear it on Christianity Today as much. But it's all over. I will drop in a couple stories along the way. So here's the... Uh, Here's, what, here's, here's kind of the main idea from, from Isaiah 9. What, what is this about? This is about the promised rule of Jesus, and it will bring joy and peace to his people. So that fits very much. The reason why these pastors picked this Isaiah text is because it ties much into Matthew as we continue through Matthew later in the year. Jesus is building his kingdom. It was true when Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus comes. It was true in his first advent. Friends, it's true as we wait for his return now. We're waiting for that. And the pictures that we will hear today, the ones we saw last week, have both his first coming and his second coming in mind. They're beautiful mountain range pictures of our glorious Jesus. I want you to know this. We're knocking on the doors of 2024, and Jesus is still building his kingdom. He is. It's not like any other kingdom. It's invisible. And as we read this text, we're going to see again what it's like to follow this king, what it's like to have our, our hearts truly rooted in him and on him, not all that other stuff that's out there in the world. We're, we're a bit subversive. We, we actually don't, we don't live like other people, though we are like other people. There's a part of us in our desires, in our being, in our understanding of life. It's very different. That has been true for Sharon Hayward, those of you that have known her all her life. It's true for God's children. So let me read. I'm going to read the whole text of Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. If you just, just stand with me for, the, for this reading. Some of these verses we've heard. Then I'll pray. But there will be no glory for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan Galilee of the nations the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone You've multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Get the picture? He's painting pictures for us. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian, when Gideon conquered the Midianites. For every boot of the tramp warrior in a battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Mighty Counselor, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. At the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth, and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Let's pray as we stand. Father, with this, your word about your son, and these, these images that we don't, maybe some of us don't fully understand, but Lord, let it be today that we would understand you more clearly. And Lord, I ask this, I pray that you would call people into this kingdom. For those who have already said yes to you, Lord, let it be that our our faith and trust in you grows in a way of worship with our lives. Let it be so on this day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so this is really divided into two halves. The first half is what it's like to be a child of the king. And the second half is the titles of Jesus. So I'm going to go pretty fast. There's a lot here. And you, you might want the notes, so get on, get on the, the email that we have. He starts off saying this, and it's that light has come into darkness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great, a great light. I won't read it again, but here's what he's talking about. Uh, he, you, in the reading, you might have heard, he's he talking about Galilee of the, of the Gentiles, he says. So you think about this. Jesus is continually coming to places that are unexpected. Who? We, we call us a manger. That's a feed trough. You know what feed troughs are like? 
You know what happens in that hay? Thank you, there's a couple farmers here. Okay? He's born in a feed trough. How, I mean, how could that be? He comes to Galilee. Galilee was seen as, it's not the holy place. Jerusalem's the holy place. Kings would go to holy places. That's why the Magi come that direction. They're looking for the king of the Jews. That's why they go to Jerusalem. They think it's... His ministry is in Galilee of the nations of the Gentiles. That's where the apostates live. That's what all the holy Jewish scholars felt like. It's the Gentiles. It's the, sorry, anybody from here? It's the new Troy of the area. It's, okay, thank you for letting me. I don't know how you feel about new Troy, but you look down on Galilee. That's what that was. That's where he's, what's he says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And he, he talks about that light being in, in Galilee. But the darkness he's talking about is a time period spiritually. I don't know how you see our day right now, but I say it's pretty dark. And the image is this. Every time he comes to a picture, he wants us to get an image. The people who walked in darkness, all they could see is darkness. They've seen a great light. Anybody, anybody ever been in one of those dark caves? No light. Ooh, man, that was a long time ago. We went, someone gave us this gift. We went to this, we went to a Bahamian island called Eleuthera. Not very well developed, totally good for us. Uh, we like the offbeat places. Eleuthera is like, I think it's 110 miles long. It's like a mile wide or something. It's this long string bean place. So it, there was tourism back in the 60s, but some hurricanes wiped it out. So we're like, oh, this will be fun. Someone gave us a, like a 1990 uh, Ford Explorer to use. We, we fly into the airport. He goes, yeah, I got the keys underneath this, whatever, in the seat. So I went into the Ford Explorer. As he tells me, it was a Ron Ford Explorer with nobody locks their cars. It's like, <laughs> so I had to find the one with the keys and we had this house to use. And anyway, we're just finding all these. So I'm reading about this cave to go into. So I want you to understand, this is not a tourist place. There's no tour guides. So we go in and like, oh, there's a ladder there. So you got to get, this is place, there aren't tourists. I mean, we're out in this, it's a field. There's nobody around. So we go down, I got, I got a candle, I got some pink candies, and I got a, a flashlight. So we walked out. This, it was a labyrinth of things. So I get, we're walking down this thing, you know, and like, oh man, also there's four ways to go. Okay, how are we going to get back? How do we know what, you know? So that's where I lit the candle, the juncture. And then we kept going, you know, I'm dropping these little pink things along the way. So it's like hands on Gretel, you know, don't be, don't be eating these. <laughs> so we went, I mean, we went down turn after turn. And uh, there's bats all over. And we got so far, I mean, we probably walked three quarters of a mile. Pretty soon we hear water. So that's like the ocean coming up. Okay, better stop. Turn off the light. I mean, I, I can't see a thing. So we're walking back, but here's the thing I'm looking for. Where is that candle? Because <laughs> a candle is going to show us the intersection and which way to go. And when you see the light, when you're in darkness, you're drawn to the light. That's the picture. It's absolute darkness. You're looking for light. And when you see that light, you're drawn to it. That is the way to go. That's the people walking in darkness. They didn't see a candle. It's a great light. So darkness is this image of being absolutely lost, having no way to go. I tell you this little story about a cave. That's an that's a, that's a analogy. That kind of spiritual darkness, that kind of lostness, when he comes on the scene, it's this great light, and people are drawn to him because he is the light. Here's verse 3. This is all pictures of Jesus. I don't have good ones here. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. This is a picture of joy that's multiplied, joy that is unrestrained, a joy that cannot be contained. And so in that society, he makes the picture like this giant harvest. You've been working for it all year long, and it's harvest time. In those days, not combines. Everybody gets out in each other's fields. We all pull this in together, then we divide it up. This is our food for the year. You are happy. It's joy. We don't have that. Only thing I can think of is when I'm a kid, we went trick or treating. And we go out and we got our 
booty or bounty, all this candy, and we'd come in with our four boys, and you know, you hit every house in the neighborhood. That's back when they gave like real candy bars. And like, and we'd sit out in our living room and we just divide it up. We were the happiest kids around. We didn't let you do that back then. I don't think they let you do it anymore. It was just, it was like, it's kids. That was like, that was better than Christmas for us. It was so fun. He's describing joy in that way. And in there, it's like, it's unrestrained. We've just done the harvest. When Jesus comes, it's like that. The people walked in darkness, seen a great light. He's bringing light into it. They have joy unrestrained. Verses four and five, next picture. Now, this might've been weird when we read it, but here it is. This is our enemy's power is broken and extinguished. Let me read it. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken it as on the day of Midian. So he's actually talking about when, if you remember the story of Gideon, that's, that's what he delivers Israel. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. He is describing enemies put in their place. That's what Jesus does when he comes. Our enemy's power is broken and extinguished. So for God's people, this is what happens. When you realize that your adversary has no real power, no ultimate power, and that can be true whether I'm talking about the evil one himself or whoever that is. Whoever that is. They don't have ultimate power over you. But there's a lot of ways we can go with this one. I'm going to tell you a story about my friend Jack that I was with just two and a half weeks ago. I'm going to change names, change places. Um, Jack serves in a Muslim country. The guy has got more courage than anybody I know. He's been jailed plenty of times. They stopped jailing him because it doesn't do anything. They now put his friends in jail. Because that hurts him worse. He's just, the guy's just got courage. I, I, I am admonished every time I'm with him. So the last three trips when I go there, he has been called into the police every time. It just, it's like all the time. Um, in between our two visits, the police have come to him four times. So the training we do is what they're asking for. It's not legal in their country. So he's the guy that said, I heard him in a conference. And he goes, hey, you can come here, you can come here, you can come here. And I'm like, man, I always heard you can't go there. You know, because we were bringing some guys. And he goes like, and I go like, I mean, we can go there and do the training. It's not legal, is it? He goes, no, it's not legal, but you can still come here. That's, that's, just how he, that's just how he lives, okay? So he gets called into the ministry of justice. I'm telling you a story because I want you to say, there's no fear. He understands something in the enemy's power being broken by Jesus, okay? So he goes in and they're, uh, so he's applying to become a registered church. There's only one registered church in this whole region, there's a whole political thing, how they do it. And he also, this is crazy, um, last spring, their, um, in their national language was the first time the Bible has been, a complete translation has been complete. So imagine that. They just got the Bible completely translated in their language. Think what we have and what they have. So it's the first time I've seen anybody with printed Bibles. It's always in their phone. So he takes a Bible in. So he's applying for registration. He wants them to approve the Bible so they can't, they can't bust him anymore. The guy is chutzpah. He just, you know. So he gets called in, and they're on him because, you know, you can't have foreigners coming. So what we do is he, he has this guest house, and we just rent the whole guest house. You know, he's, he's doing this all under tourism. I go under a tourist visa and all this. And, and he, um, so they're on him. You need to register all the tourists. You need to do this. And it's like a press, and, and um, so, he, so he's quoting the president of the nation who wants tourism to come. So just, just a little background. Muslim countries, most of them don't want radical Islam. There's only a couple of them that rule that way. So most of them don't want it. And if you follow the news, radical Muslims kill other Muslims. You know that? That's who they kill mostly. That's who they're fighting. So they don't want it. So in some of these places, the national president, he wants peace. He wants tourism because that's economic development, right? So that's how we go in with all that. So, so he's quoting the president saying, wait a minute, you want me to go against the president who wants tourists to come here? Now watch this. No, the guy's got no fear. Um, I go to conferences around, around the world and they're Christian conferences and I meet other Christians and then I invite them to come here for tourism. I have a guest house. It's for tourism. And when they come, 
What do you think they ask? They always ask, is there a church around? They want to see a church. You should approve my application. <laughs> I mean, he's not done. <clears throat> you should approve my application. That's what I see. Well, they can teach. No, 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 no. He said, even if they come for 10 minutes, they wouldn't take pictures of the church. You should approve my application. Well, when they come, you, know, you don't know. There might be like foreign teaching. It might be bad. Okay, by the way, Christianity was in that region of the world long before Islam was. I mean, you know that all, all over the world. It, it, so, so, he just, so he turns to the guy that's questioning him. He goes, when were you born? 1992. I was a Christian before you were born. And then he says, oh, the guy, because they're talking about false teachings. And do you have a theological degree? How would you know what false teaching is? I know what false teaching is. They finally go, go on to, I almost said this, go on to the capital. There's no fear. I'm like, be wise, be careful. No fear. Why? I'm telling you, my, my brother, Jack, he knows that the enemy's power is ultimately broken. He's confident who Jesus is. He's okay if they, he's, okay, he's been to prison plenty of times. He's given his life for this. Jesus has radically changed his life. He knows what the religion is like he came out of and all the abuse that goes on. He's like, this is what I wanted to, and, and part of the conversation that we had together was there country, even more closed than his country, says, Jeff, we need this. We're learning. We're growing. And in 2024, that border's opened us. We want to go there. Do you hear that? Whatever God's given, whatever I have, I'm sharing it. It's not, this is not about me. There's no, there's no fear. That's courage because this guy knows the power of our enemy is broken and extinguished. Verses 6 to 7, that's titles of our Savior. So I'll, uh, Karis read them beautifully today. So in the world, here's what happens. Titles are given that are not deserved. Happens all the time. And hypocrisy bothers us. It can produce cynicism in us. And I want you to know, Jesus is not like that. His titles are all deserved. In fact, his, his greatest criticism is for those who were religious leaders and did not live up to it. They were not worthy of that title. Jesus' titles display his character. That's what it is. So verses 6 and 7, it begins this way. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And here's what I want you to think about. It's the to us. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. This child, this Savior is for us, for you. There are too many of us that feel like we don't measure up. This is how we feel deep down. We don't measure up to God. We knew better. We're all like that. Friends, Jesus loves those who don't measure up. His forgiveness is not based on you sinning in ignorance. Most of our sin is very willful and we knew it, right? It's really it. The Bible's full of people like us. Jesus calls the weak to himself, not the strong. That's what he calls. I came for the sick. That's at, at, doctors go to sick, not to the well. So whatever you feel, especially if you feel distant, I want to assure you this. What's the, what's the one? In our weakness, he was no stranger. What song is that? Child was, oh, holy night. Saying that last week, I'm like, I just been thinking about that phrase all week long. To our weakness, he is no stranger. That's our Jesus. Our weakness actually draws him to us. There's too many of us that feel like, I know better. I know what I'm supposed to do. And we feel this part because we don't measure. And we feel like, because I don't measure up, then, then I don't deserve this. It's just a lie. And the evil one wants that lie to remain there. He calls the weak to himself. It's the proud who won't come. And don't let the feeling of not measuring up keep you from coming to him because that's the evil one's voice and that's what he wants you to think. No, no. For to us a child is born. For to us a son is given. And then it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. What's that mean? That means ruling and governing is his responsibility. He'll do it. <laughs> Ooh, control freaks. I'm one of those. Those who want control. We want control because of things that have happened to us or, or, or whatever else. 
No, no, it's, it's his responsibility. He governs, he rules. And when he returns, when he returns, there will, it will be the second time, it will be a rule of absolute peace. Every single wrong righted, what was the phrase last week, Isaiah 11? Um, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. The whole earth will know him. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I get out that lake when it's not windy, one of those calm days, which won't be in the winter. I mean, it's in the summer when it's one of those calm days. And you look out and that thing goes forever. And it's peaceful. It's tranquil. That's the picture in Isaiah 11. And when he returns that next time, it's going to be that kind of peace. Don't you long for that? All the craziness. That's what he's going to do. There's a right now part of that, that also. That's future. There's a right now. The right now is this. While it's not final with the absolution of all evil, friends, we serve a God who turns evil for good. That's the end of Genesis. That's the person he is. When we encounter evil and wrongs, what do we do? To whom do we turn? We all have choices. You can look at the evil done to you. You can focus on it there. But I'm telling you, there's things we didn't ask for that come to us. Right? All the time. In this room. Hundreds of things. Probably some of them happened to you this week. You didn't ask for. It came to you. The question is, where do I turn? Who do I look to? We serve a God who turns evil to good. He's got purposes. The government is on his shoulders. He will do it. You can trust him for it. We don't know how it will be, but that's who he is. And we can trust him in big things and in small things. I'm going to tell you two. I'm going to tell you a small one and a big one that are very recent. Some of you know. So here's a small one. Oh, I had so many travel snafus in this last trip. Uh, I'll tell you this one. First one was self-induced. Anybody ever traveled internationally? Okay. Did, how many times did you check to see if you had the correct passport? I had my wife's passport at O'Hare and not mine. Thank you. Let that be awkward silence for a while. Okay, the Lord resolved it. I won't say that story, but that's really embarrassing. But it resolved it. I, I got to where I needed it. Yeah, thank you, Ava. Your mouth's still white. That's how I felt. I was like, what do I do? I was like, um, anyway, you can hear the funny story later, but it got resolved. And not only did it get resolved, I had three flights. Uh, this, anyway, I got to where I needed to be on my connecting flight, but that was like unbelievable. My daughter, as they're praying, goes like, man, the Lord must be do, doing something great because someone tries to keep you from going. Um, so one flight, I'm, I made my connecting flight. I'm getting to the third flight, which is a domestic flight. So I can't use cities' names. This flight, I had a three-hour layover to make my connection. But in that time, I had to change airports. So before I left Istanbul, it was delayed. And it kept changing the delay. And so I had a three-hour connection, which I saw as the board's changing. It's two hour and 10 minutes late. That's 50 minutes. Well, they close boarding at 15 minutes till. That's 35 minutes I have to do this. Plane, I'm in row 20, so you got to get off the plane. You been on planes lately? They're packed. You know how fast people get off? They don't. <laughs> I, I got a D plane, get on a bus, which drives to a terminal. It's my international port. You have to go through passport control. Been through any passport controls that are fast anywhere lately? Nope. Passport control. Find my party. Find him. Then he will negotiate a taxi ride. Negotiate. Took me 30 minutes the last time I was with him trying to save five bucks. And I was so tired. I'm like, can I pay 20 extra? And just like, can we to negotiate a taxi ride? to drive at least 10 more minutes to a new airport, you've got to go through two lines of security and check in. The math does not work. There's not a chance this works. So I'm sitting in, anyway, the domestic airline. I got my printed ticket. Before I leave Istanbul, I just downloaded the app of this airline that I've flown before that's bare bones. And I, I, but it was weird because when I landed, I didn't feel urgent, which is unlike me. I just feel like the Lord go like, I got this. I don't know what that means. That means you're stuck for two days. I can't find another flight. I, I have no idea, but I just, this is one I didn't, maybe I was too tired to be worried. I don't know. I just like, I give up. But I sat there in the plane. Everybody's deplaning. I'm like, I just, I mean, there's no way this works. 
It just doesn't work. But I looked at the app I downloaded, and I go, oh, I can hit my, get my boarding passes. So I get the boarding passes. Last one off the plane. What's that mean? First, I'm the last one on the bus, which means first one off the bus. I'm the last one out. I'm like, right at the, I barely get in. I'm right at the door. And so we pull, you know, we got a driver. Get to the, pull up to the, the thing. I, I see passport control. There's only one guy in line. Doors open, boop, I'm right there. It's the fastest interview I've ever had at passport control. So I get through. Now I got to find my party. He is not where he said he would be. Par for the course with him. Married his sister. He's not. He's just like all the time. He's always like, he tells me exactly where he is. And I, I'm, in, I'm in this classroom. He goes, he called it, where are you? I said, I'm where you said you'd be. And where are you? He goes, oh, I, I was, you know, he's always got a reason. So he finds me and we got to get a taxi. And I said, oh Lord, please help Kevin negotiate this quickly. Because it takes forever. And in 60 seconds, you know, because everybody wants taxi, taxi. So he negotiates the price. You know, we get, we get half the price originally asked in, in 60 seconds. So we're going to the plane, and he goes like, yeah, the plane leaves in 20 minutes, leaves in, tw- leaves in 20 minutes. This little roly-poly guy, he's, he's running along with the bags, and like, he's not even parked in the parking lot, which was awesome because we didn't have to go through the gate. He's parked on the road. So again, when you're getting a taxi, you have no idea where they're parked. You don't know. He could be, I mean, we could have been 10 minutes getting on the parking lot. So he's, he's running along. I wish, I wish I had this on video. It was screaming funny. So we pull up to the other airport, 10-minute drive, and there's a, so 100 yards outside the airport is another military thing, and I almost said his name, uh, Kevin just goes like, Nukus, you know, the, this is where we're going, and, that, and so they just flew us through, running the 100 yards, get in there, I mean, you know, the, the check-in's closed, they just look at us like, you know, there's nobody, so they just, they didn't even wait, let us do anything, I always, tra- this is why I travel carry-on, and so they waved us over to this I guess, I guess we'd call it customer service. It looked like a KGB interview room, you know, which I think it probably was. Um, and the two guys are there, and they just go, hey, it's, it's at the door's closed, you know. And all I did is I hold up my phone. It's got those two boarding passes that I downloaded while I'm sitting on the plane. I don't have anything else to do because I'm sitting there because everybody's still on the plane. And they looked at it, and they go like, we'll hold it. They held the bus. And so, I mean, it's like, this, it's supposed to leap. They hold the bus. And so, so we go through another security thing. The guy that said he'd hold the bus, he's waiting for us to get on. We're the last guys. I mean, they hold the bus. Everybody's waiting. God held the bus. The guy who rules over everything. And like, we get on, we get on the plane, and I just sat there, and I just laughed out loud. You can't, the math doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And I'm like, oh, God, you're so good. I feel like the whole trip went like that. That's a small one. But normally, Jeff Dryden is worrying, like, ah, I'm all tied up in knots. What's going to happen? I'm going to be stuck here for a day. What's the next plan? You got any friends in the building like that? I mean, I'm go- I got my backup plan, and my backup to my backup plan, like, I was just done. It's all on his shoulders. That's a small one. That's the funny story. The big one that's not funny is Kyle Warnke. And Kyle Warnke should not be on this earth. You guys know this, have been following this. Kyle Warnke should be gone, should be dead. Or, or permanently paralyzed, and he's not. The doctors don't understand it. They don't understand it. But I'll tell you this. Every time we got Connect cards coming in, Diane's got it written on, on her Connect card about praying for Kyle and for her, him coming to Jesus. I'm pretty sure it's under this wall when we wrote prayer requests way back there. And a number of you, and myself included, Mike, Pastor Mike, we've had some really good conversations with Kyle, so don't stop praying for him. But I'm praying that he knows this Jesus who wants to do good in his life because he knows this, he should not be here. That's the big ones. Now, here's the thing. Every story is different, right? When Jesus has still been on his throne, if it didn't work out the way we wanted it to work out, yep. But I want you to know, the government's on his shoulders. It's his responsibility. That's the point of this. Don't compare your story with someone else. That's not the point. It's who he is, how he's going to do it, because he's always at the center of it in a way to show each of us himself. That's what he wants to do. And following him is more important than anything else, more important than having all your retirement, all your money taken care of. It's more important than anything. And I, don't, I wish I wasn't like this, but oftentimes the way it works for us, it takes something bad to happen to wake us up. Isn't that the truth? It just is. 
So why do I worry? Why do I doubt? I don't know. I'm like, oh, man, i got to go through these faster. I will. I love talking about Jesus, though. So here's his titles. Wonderful Counselor. This is true in so many ways. So this is about a couple of things. Go ahead and go to Wonderful Counselor. That's the first one. Know him as Wonderful Counselor. I'm going to talk about two ways this is. Counselor, we need wisdom. We need help. You remember how it says it in James chapter 1, verse 5. If, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. He's not stingy. He's a generous. Ask him. But ask him in faith, not doubting. Ask him anticipating. This is the God that he is. He's describing that. How many t- we, we need wisdom for all kinds of things. There's all kinds of situations. Here's good. Here's, I, I don't know what. It just, there's an invitation to ask him. He's wonderful counselor. So there's one aspect that's like asking for wisdom. There's another aspect that has to do with comfort. When Jesus was leaving, he's getting ready to go, go to the cross. It's days before he goes to the cross, and he says to his 12 disciples, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I am I'm going to send my spirit, his spirit. We call him the Holy Spirit. His spirit. I'm going to send him. He will guide you into truth. And the name used there is paraclete in Greek. It's the one who comes alongside. That's who Jesus is. Wonderful count. That's who he wants to be for you. Noim is that. So I, I, know, I know I'm preaching strong through this, but listen, you're going to sit here or whatever. But this, here this is Jesus called. It's how he wants to be known. This is, this is what the mountain range is saying. It's what the prophet, this is what he's like. And you'll either know him or not. But this is, that mountain range is out there. It's a son that's for us. He was given for us. Wonderful counselor. Know him as mighty God. The almighty. The one who has all power and all authority. Jesus said that in the end of Matthew he says it this way. This is after he has risen and he's talking to his disciples. He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's telling them, you go and make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in my name. And I, to the end, I will be with you always to the ends of the earth. This authority has been given to me. It's the way Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, the way he wants to, to pray as he gets that, he's talking, it's Ephesians chapter 3, and he's talking about, man, I want you to know, I want you to know the love of Christ. It, it, it's so deep, it's probably beyond real human understanding. But that's what I'm praying, is you know the depths of Jesus' love for you. And he ends that prayer saying, now to him who's able to do, I love the words, far, he, he just runs out of words, far more abundantly than all we can ask, or even think to ask. That's who he is. Mighty God. More than we can imagine is what he can do. So ask him. It's up for him to decide how he'll do it. Just ask him. It's what he loves to do. Big things, small things. That's what the pastors pray that you would know. That you would know him. This wonderful wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Jesus taught this in so many ways. But you know this. When Jesus is, is teaching, he, he's always talking about God as his Father. And he's teaching us to pray to him as our Father in heaven. That's, that's the phrasing. And you remember this as we went through uh, the Sermon on the Mount earlier this year in Matthew. As he speaks to this, he says, listen, your Father cares for you. you look at, why do you worry about what you're going to get? Look at the birds of the air. They have to worry about it. He feeds them. And we talked about that. Every time you hear a bird singing, there's a song he's singing. I don't know if you hear it. The song the birds sing is, my father cares for me, he cares for you. He really does. So he said, know him as your everlasting father. Heavenly father who cares for you. And here's how Paul writes it in Romans. And if you do anything this year, if you want to memorize something, memorize Romans 8. This is the chapter my, my folks grew up in an irreligious family, didn't know anything. Uh, someone started a Bible study in their house. When they got, my dad would sit out in the kitchen, you know, small house in the 60s, so you can hear everything. Um, but when the Bible study got to Romans 8, that's when the Lord got him. 
Here's, here's how it ends. It's about the love of God. What should we say then of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Think of that. Jesus is for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us everything? Meaning, if he gave us Jesus, he's not going to become stingy now. Ask him about anything. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, you, just, you know this. What, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, nakedness, danger? So- nope, it doesn't. It doesn't. Verse 37, knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors. For I'm sure, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Amen? Nothing. Nothing seen or unseen. That's what he's saying. The mountain range is saying, know him as your wonderful counselor, know him as your mighty God, know him as your everlasting father who loves you and nothing can change that. And know him then finally as prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So, true in lots of ways. Right here, this accomplishes for us peace with God. Ultimate peace. But he brings priests into relational conflicts if we're looking at him. This is where the gospel permeates everything. He will bring a reign of peace ultimately. And here's what I want us to see. In this room, I don't know how many, we are all tempted with various things to worry about, be anxious about, or to be afraid of. Okay? Don't beat yourself up about that. But understand this. Every opportunity to worry or be anxious. Every opportunity, let me say this back. Every time you're tempted to be worried or anxious is an opportunity to trust Jesus. See it that way. That's what he would want. Things like that only happen when you have the worry or anxiety. You don't get to choose what comes to you, mostly. You get to choose where you will look. So that word trust Sorry, I'm pulling all the stops. I'm almost done. This is my last sermon, so. So when you think of the word trust, I've said this a number of times, the illustration is like repelling. Because the word trust, it literally, it's, it's leaning upon completely. How many of you have ever gone repelling? Not enough of you. Okay. To do it, to do it right, you got to go all the way back, right? Can't go, can't go part way. And I tell the story about doing this with a youth group and one, one good guy who was a football coach, locally for a while, um, when he was in high school, tried to go back this way, not all the way. So, kind of trusting it, not all the way trusting it. That's what I want to do. I watched this. So I said, I'm not doing that. We'll go this way. And we were told, go all the way. Now it's unnatural. Go all the way. Lorraine, all the way. And he went this way. And on this granite peak, his feet slipped out. And he did the hardest face plan I've ever seen. I'm glad he was a lineman because I'm like, I'm not doing that. So I went, I'm going to lean all the way. But that's the picture with Jesus. You've got to go all the way back. So you, you got to trust that rope. When the, the word trust is that word. And in that, you've yielded control. I'm no longer control. That rope is. Every worry is an opportunity to grow in trust of Jesus. It's an opportunity to practice it. That's good. All right. I'm just going to wrap it up this way. I'll read the last his kingdom, his, with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I was going to read, I'll read Revelation 21, last, last thing. Because this is how it ends. You know this. Second to last chapter of the Bible. This is how it ends for us. When he returns, mountain range picture, this is the final one. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is, is with mankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. For some of us, he feels far away. That won't be. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. 
for the former things have passed away. There's so much good in this life, but there's a lot of pain. I want to say this. That's to prepare us for ultimate. When you know the pain relieved and gone, it's like unbelievable when it's gone and when Jesus returns in his rule. That's what the pastors want you to know. May it be this year that this Jesus, this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, that you know him like that. You know his love for you. For to us, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Friends, he is for you. He's for you. Let's pray. Lord, I ask this as we considered these pictures. You know everybody here. You know where everybody's at. For those that have felt distant or have not turned to you yet, God, I pray that would very soon it would be a complete turning to you. There's plenty that have questions and think that's fine. I pray, Lord, you would enable them to take those questions to you. And for all of us, I ask this. I'd ask that we'd know that you're for us. You're a God who has shown your love most profoundly in sending us Jesus. And if you've given us Jesus, you won't hold anything back that we need. For he is who we need. I pray that kind of blessing from you would be desired and would be known by each person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.